Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to Arden First Baptist. We are a place where you can belong, believe, and become. We're so excited you're here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get ready to open his word. Father, it is amazing grace. And it's hard for us to comprehend how wide and deep and long and vast the love of God is. The love of God that forgives us for all our sins. The love of God that transforms us from enemies to friends. So God, now we stand in your grace. We pray for your forgiveness where we fall short of you. And Father, we pray that your grace would continue to transform us from glory to glory until glorified. So Father, as we look into your word, speak to our hearts. Help us not to be simply informed, but help us to leave transformed. In the name above all names, Jesus, we pray. Amen. First of all, I want to say a big thanks for all the hospitality and kitchen crew, Diana and company. They fed us well, so let's give them a hand. For those of you who didn't make it to the breakfast, we had a gourmet breakfast of pancakes and eggs and all the works. And we're celebrating fall launch for both services and the 9.30 service was the official grand opening, so we had a great crowd for that service, and that was exciting. It's good to see so many smiling faces for this fall launch. I want to encourage you every Sunday to become an inviting culture where we invite our friends and family, and every week we see more and more people uh, experience the love of Christ in this place. So we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter number 9. If you have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you if you don't have one. And we're going to be talking about a very familiar story that we've heard a thousand times, but the Lord kind of gave me a new angle at this story, and I want to present it to you. Before we jump into the scripture, I was reading about a man who opened a new business, and all his friends were really excited, so they wanted to send him this big bouquet of flowers to the store for the grand opening. So uh, he opened the store that day, and he read the card, and the card read, as follows, it said, Dear Deepest Sympathies. And he's like, why would my friends say Deepest Sympathies? I mean, this is an exciting time. And as he was reading the card, his phone rang, and it was the florist. And I said, sir, we are so sorry. We've made a grave mistake. We sent the wrong card to you. That card we sent to you was supposed to be sent to the funeral home. And he said, okay, well, I, I, that helps me out a lot because I was getting worried, like, deepest sympathies. I think my store is going to close down or what's going on. So, and the florist said, well, we're kind of really upset because the funeral home got your card. And he said, okay, well, what did my card say? And the card read as follows, congratulations on your new location. <laughs> Which, it's kind of true, right? So... Today we're going to talk about the disciples who almost messed up, but Jesus saved them from a faux pas. They, they wanted to send the crowds away. They had just decided to go on a retreat, a vacation. They were weary. They were tired. And they're like, let's send the crowds away. And Jesus looks at his 12 apostles and says, you give them something to eat. So this whole message is going to be taken from that phrase, you give them something to eat. But I have some bad news and good news. You guys want to hear the bad news or the good news first? We'll start with the bad news. Okay. The bad news is you do not have what it takes. Listen, the people home discouraged, depressed, right? 
here's the good news. You do have what it takes. And you're like, don't the statements contradict one another? They do. So let me clarify. On your own resources, your own ability, in your own strength, you do not have what it takes. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But the good news is, if Jesus is the star and the director of your story, you do have what it takes. Paul said it like this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So this story, we're going to unpackage it, but just a little preview. The disciples are weak and weary. They don't have the energy. They don't have the food. They don't have a lot of resources. And Jesus looks at them and basically says, you have what it takes. Go feed the people. So let's look into the scripture in Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, they told Jesus about all they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And Jesus received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitudes away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country And lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place. But Jesus looks at him and look at verse 13. He said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. He said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples and set them before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. So this whole message is going to fall along the lines of if Jesus is the star and the director of your story. Number one, you have what it takes to greatly minister to the people in your path. If you look at verses 10 and 11, the apostles had returned, and they were weak and weary because they had just been on the first missionary journey. Uh, You remember Jesus sent them out, don't bring any provisions, trust that I'll provide. And if the people reject you, shake the dust off their feet. So the people, the, the 12 apostles came back, and they were excited, but also there was this sense of weariness. And this is the only pre-resurrection miracle that's in all four Gospels, which is kind of fascinating. So each Gospel account has a different angle. One Gospel author says that Jesus sent them away so they could get some rest because they they needed recharging. And so have you ever been to a place of burnout? Anybody ever been there? Well, since we're in church, can I be honest with you guys? Um, This season of my life, this week I felt myself on the edge of burnout. And I seldom, I'm a high energy type person, I seldom feel burned out. Like that's not really, you know, where I'm at. But most of you know somewhat about my story, you know, with four little ones. The youngest two being boys with high testosterone and like to throw stuff and do crazy stuff. So this week, my three-year-old Gabriel tells us that he swallowed money. And we're like, how in the world would you swallow money? He said, I just put the coin in the back of my throat and gulped. And, it, and he, he said it reminded him of chocolate candy, you know, the little coin. So he swallowed either a penny or a dime. So we find ourselves this Saturday, we're hoping it will come out on its own. It hasn't. 
we find ourselves at the outpatient and get an x-ray. We're hoping, we don't want him to lie, but we're like, we hope it's not there. And sure enough, he told the truth, and there's a coin in his stomach sitting there lodged. So uh, we're just like, wow, you know, this is very toxic, and if it doesn't come out, they're going to have to have surgery. So that, and then most of you know we've had 15 puppies at the house barking, so kids crying, dogs barking, and so my energy levels are dropping, dropping, dropping. And I'm working on finishing up my degree. I'm working on a 150-page dissertation at nighttime. So when, the, when it's a little loud at the house, I have to go to Ingalls down the road to type my paper because, you know, when the kids are asleep, the dogs are awake. <laughs> so it's, it's, so I, I find myself on the edge of burnouts. And something the Lord reminded me, listen, I'm the well of living waters. And if you're experiencing burnout, guess what that means? You need to go back to me. On your own, you will get burnout. But in my strength, I will replenish and refill you. So if this sermon is not for anyone else, I'm preaching to myself today. But I'm hoping someone else can get encouraged. So you have what it takes to minister to the people in your pathway. I was reminded of scripture this week, encouragement to me. This is 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. In the context, David is going through a really tough time in his life. He's come back to his village and all these enemies have taken his, his family and all the other men's family and cattle and everything they own. And the men wanted to kill their leader. When things go bad, people often look at the leader and said, we're going after you. So they've talked about stoning David. And I want you to read this phrase to you. It said, but David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. Another translation, David encouraged or refreshed himself. So what does it look like to encourage yourself? Have you ever, that would be a great sermon for another day, self-encouragement. We always want other people to encourage us, but one of the spiritual disciplines that we don't talk about in church is self-encouragement. How do you take the Word of God, the Spirit of God who resides inside of you, and encourage yourself to find strength? And by the way, I don't feel burnout right now. So this week I encourage myself. I ask the Lord to fill me. But you can see in this text, in verses 10 and 11, the disciples are like, Jesus, we're tired. How would you guys feel if you just went on your summer vacation to the beach house and everybody from Arden First Baptist showed up? They were there like, hey, we're coming to hang out with you. And you're like, I was coming to get away. Uh, for those of you who run companies, how would you like it if your coworkers found out your destination and they showed up? I need a vacation too. Feed me. <laughs> so... We don't know the exact number. We know that there are 5,000 family heads, the, the men, but the women and children were not taken into account. So if every man had a wife and average of two kids, that's 20,000 people. So imagine 20,000 people, and I can imagine the disciples, their eyes just popping out like, are you kidding me? We were ministering these small villages, and now there's like 20,000 people here. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have what it takes. Feed the people. So I love how Jesus res responds to the people. Look at back, back in verses 10 and 11. It says he received them. It was a warm welcome. The only way I can explain this, as I was studying this passage, I heard one pastor say it like this. I thought this was a good way of explaining. As a parent or a grandparent, you know when your kids, when they're little, they need changing their diaper. You don't say, hey, go change yourself. Or when they're hungry, you don't say, go feed yourself. Maybe when they're eight or nine you do, but not when they're three. You, you rise up, even if you're dead tired, 
and you take care of the need. So when Jesus sees the flock of people coming, he sees them as children. He sees them as a sheep, as a group of sheep without a shepherd. And instead of like the disciples, let's send them away. Jesus welcomes them. Notice he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. We have studied in weeks past in Luke's gospel. When it talks about the kingdom of God, it's God's rule and his reign across the universe. But specifically, it's in the hearts of believers. So we know that the coming kingdom that's going to eventually come when Jesus comes back and when, you know, there's thousand year millennial reign, all this stuff happens. Once the new heaven and the new earth occurs, it's going to be eternity and there's going to be no more sickness. So whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom, you often see him healing sicknesses because the good news is when we're in heaven, when we're with Jesus, there's no more sickness. So when Jesus preached the kingdom, he would heal sickness because kingdom and living and sickness don't go together. But we're on this side of eternity. We have the kingdom in us, but the coming kingdom is not yet, but it's coming. So notice he healed those who are sick. Jesus showed compassion. And the scripture doesn't tell us this, but it's implied to the disciples saying, let's send them away. Let's let, let them get food and lodging. And Jesus says, no, let's bring them close. Here's the thing about it. Jesus wanted to receive those who needed help. And I don't know about you, but I, I kind of identify more with the, the apostles sometimes. Jesus has always come on, come on. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can handle this. But Jesus looks at you and looks at me and says, with me as the star and the director of your story, you have what it takes. Look at the person next to you in case they're sleeping and say, you have what it takes. You have what it takes. Number two, with Jesus as the star and the director of your story, you have what it takes to adequately provide for overwhelming circumstances. To adequately provide for overwhelming circumstances. Now, verses 12 through 14, the disciples are doing the math. And parallel gospels tell us they did a calculation. It would take 200 denarii. That's 200 days wages. So if you think about $40,000, Jesus, if we could come up with 40 grand, that wouldn't, that still would, wouldn't be enough to feed everyone. And Jesus looks at him and says, you feed him. And the disciples were in trouble because they were weary and they needed rest. The crowds felt like they were in trouble because they had been there all day and they needed food. And they were getting tired and they needed rest. Jesus seems to be the only one who has it together besides Jesus and the little boy. The little boy seems to have his head on straight from John 6. Um, how many of you have ever been in a really big concert with hundreds or thousands of people? Okay. Some of you have been in those settings. And when you get thousands of people together... And they haven't had showers in a while. And they're starting to sweat. It's not a pleasant sight. For those of you who have been to all-day concerts, if, if you've ever worked with youth, you know the, the feeling. Can you imagine 20,000 smelly, sweating people? Hungry, griping. I can imagine fights starting to get ready to break out. And the disciples are like, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, you feed them. And it, it's a reminder to me. In my own strength, I don't have the answers, I don't have the solutions, I don't have what it takes. But if Jesus is the center of my universe, he looks at me and says, you have what it takes. So the crowds were growing hungry, and Jesus says, give them something to eat. So the disciples' response was similar to her own. 
They said, Jesus, send them away so they could go to the surrounding villages and towns and get food and a place to stay. It sounded spiritual, right? We're going to take care of them. But Jesus says, no, that's not what I want. I want you to sit, sit them down and you give them something to eat. And as I began to think about it, I thought about with us, in our bad days, we are a subtraction or a division equation. On our very best days, we are an addition equation. But in the hands of Jesus, it's always a multiplication equation. Have you ever thought about that? When it comes to me, I, I take away or I divide in my bad days. In my good days, I add. But in the hands of Jesus, it's always multiplying. So, like the disciples, we often have excuses for not doing what Jesus calls us to do. On your listening guide, I list six. And we'll see some of these with the disciples. The first one is, I can't afford to help. You ever heard that saying, we can't afford to do it? That was the disciples' excuse. Jesus, even if we came up with 40 Gs, we couldn't feed all these people. Jesus says, you feed them. Number two, two, I'm too busy. You ever been so busy you just didn't have time to do what you felt God was calling you to do? For those of you who weren't here last week, we discovered that the average person looks at their cell phone how many times a day? Was it 80? And it, this is American culture. Some of you aren't, aren't. Some of you lower the number for the rest of us. But that averaged a little more than two and a half hours a day on your apps. So from now on, when you say, I don't have time, give me your cell phone. We'll see how much time you have now, right? <laughs> Number three, I'm too tired. I'm just so weary. I'm so tired. I just want to crawl up in the fetal position. You ever been there? And Jesus looks at his tired disciples and says, you feed them. Number four, I'm not gifted in this area. I could see the apostle saying, Jesus, we are ministers. We are not meant to be waiters. A minister, a waiter. And Jesus looks at him and says, you feed them. But Jesus, we've never felt big crowds. We never fed big crowds like this. Uh, Joe Alexander was in the first service and he used to own a few restaurants. And I said, Joe, what's what's the biggest crowd you've ever fed? And he said, 2,000 people. I said, that's big. But think about in their day, we have refrigeration, we have fast food, we have all this stuff. In that day, no refrigeration, no fast food. If you wanted to to have fish for dinner, you'd have to catch the fish, clean the fish, cook the fish. Can you imagine 20,000 people? So I'm not gifted. Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. Number five, somebody else will do it. The 12 apostles were saying, Jesus, send them away. Let them feed themselves. And that sounds spiritual, right? We need to teach people to be self-feeders, right? But Jesus said, no, in this case, I want you to feed them. And number six, how many procrastinators do we have? Number six is, I will do it later. I feel this way about my car. I need to wash my car. I'll do it later. And then later never comes. And then it keeps getting dirtier and dirtier and the wheels turn black. And I'm like, all right, I've got to wash my car. Whenever you do it later, the problem is later becomes today. And you can constantly say, I'll do it tomorrow. But Jesus said, feed them. Make them sit down right now. But have you ever noticed that the disciples' excuse was, we only have, what, five loaves and two fish? And we know from history that these barley loaves were the lunch of a poor person. So this, this is a little boy's lunch. He didn't have filet mignon for, 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 for his lunch. He didn't have the, the really nice big kid's Happy Meal for McDonald's. He just had a few small pieces of bread and two small sardines. Little boy's lunch. 
But here, here's the question I want to ask you guys. Out of a crowd of perhaps up to 20,000 people, do you not think someone else had some bread in their tunic? I mean, look at you. You, you got a piece of bread. You got a fish over here. Out of 20,000 people, surely someone prepared besides this little boy. That's just a little sanctified speculation. But I believe that other people had resources. But the idea is the crowd is so big and overwhelming, I can't really help. And that's the way we think today, right? There's so many needs, and we just don't do anything because we, we don't think we can solve the problem. Listen, you may not be able to change everybody's world, but you can change someone's world. You do what you can do and let God do what only he can do. Do you ever think that sometimes your reality doesn't line up with God's reality? The apostles' reality was we only have this little boy's lunch and there's all this multitude of people. Jesus' reality was, guess what? I made the fish and I can recreate. I'm the creator. And him doing this miracle proves that he is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. This is proof of his divinity because only God can create and recreate the way he can. So... If you look through the Bible, there's a man named Noah. And what is Noah famous for? Building a big boat, right? And if I remember my Bible correctly, this is before it rained on the earth. The earth was watered through the dew. So before it had rained, and Noah wasn't even near the ocean, from what I understand, with geography. And then God says, build a boat. So Noah's like, all I have is these three boys of mine and some wood. What's in your hand? And then you read through scriptures and there's a man named Moses. And Moses is in the wilderness for 40 years and God calls him and he says, at this point he's feeling a little insecure. He said, God, I don't feel like I can talk very well. I'm not eloquent like my brother Aaron. And God says, what's in your hand? A little shepherd's stick. And what God does is he takes that piece of wood and he uses that piece of wood and the power of God through his servant to lead two to three million people out of slavery. What's in your hand? A wood, piece of wood, a stick. And then there's Joseph. We talked a lot about Joseph. At 17, he dreams some wild and crazy dreams about what God's going to do, visions from God. And all of a sudden, life happens. Circumstances hit. And Joseph, all he has is the dream inside of him. And I want to ask the question of the dreamers. Is the dream of God so big in you that you'll continue on even when life looks like your dream has become a nightmare? When your dream has turned into a nightmare, but all you cling is the God inside of you and his dream. So when you place what you do have in God's hands, he takes care of what you do not have. You know, I like to look at it like this, and maybe this is, me talking to my kids, but maybe you'll, you guys will benefit from this. But I view it as this magic eraser in heaven. That whenever you come across an impossibility, the word impossible is written on your situation. God takes out his magic eraser and says, if you'll just believe in me, I will erase the I am off your impossibility. I make the impossible possible if you believe. Amen. Number three, you have what it takes to effectively execute a divine solution for a human problem. You have what it takes to effectively execute a divine solution for a human problem. In verse 14 through 17, Jesus tells the disciples to execute a plan. And here's what the plan was. I want you to have these people sit down. I want you to give them in groups of 50. And then I'm going to, I'm going to bless and break the food. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to give it to them. 
And let's see how many leftovers we have. So I want you to know that for every human problem, there is a divine solution. And I love how Jesus doesn't just say simply believe, but he he puts action into it. I joked with the first service by saying there's a lot of single people that say, you know, I'm single and I'm just waiting on God to send me the right one. And I'm just going to pray. And all of a sudden, Mr. Prince Charming is going to show up knocking on my door. You know, there has to be some action. Faith is not alone. Faith is always active. When you believe God, you always respond. So I want you to see the faith on behalf of the crowd and the disciples. So in the Palestinian culture, we've learned through Luke's gospel, whenever they ate, they would eat how? Reclining. So the fact that the disciples are asking them to sit down, they're putting their faith in Jesus that he's going to come through. Because when the people are sitting down, it means dinner is about to be served. But not only does it take faith on the disciples' part, it takes faith on the crowd's part. For these hungry men and women and children, I can imagine my kids getting really cranky at this point, not eating. And asking them to sit down, it takes faith. This past Friday, I had an example of this, that uh, sometimes you don't have what it takes. Friday is my pancake day, most of you know this. We PJs and pancakes. So I had my pancakes made. This Friday, it was the very berry pancakes. I had different berries put in. and It was all ready. I had the, the, the mix and the berries, and um, I put it all together. And the, la- the final ingredient is the canola oil to help it you know, cook well. And we ran out of oil, so my wife said, we have olive oil. You can use that. I said, okay. So I reached for a bottle. I poured just a few drops, and to my horror, it wasn't olive oil. It was um, this balsamic vinaigrette. I didn't even know. I, didn't, I guess I've heard of balsamic vinaigrette, but I thought it, was, it looks the same, right? And I'm like, well, maybe it was just two drops. Maybe it won't affect the batter. And my wife said, well, you taste it. And I tasted it. I was like, oh. So my, my six-year-old daughter, Kira, came up with a brilliant idea. Let's get the kids loaded up and let's go to Cracker Barrel. And let's eat their breakfast. So sometimes you feel like you got what it takes and then you mess it up. So the disciples were there and Jesus says, you feed the people. I was reading a story by Chuck Swindoll about Ignaz Paderewski. He was the famous piano composer and Paderewski was doing this huge concert. And some of our musicians know about Paderewski. And all of the social elite were here. I mean, the tickets were so expensive. It was like tuxedo and gown event and, you know, white shirt, black tie. It was that high class event. So they had all the who's who's of the city. So when they were waiting for Paderewski, everyone was socializing and catching up on what they've been doing. And there was this little nine-year-old boy in the audience who was fidgety. And while his mother had her head turned talking to one of her girlfriends, he made a beeline for the stage And on the stage, they had the spotlights and the grand piano, and everyone was just waiting for Paderewski to come on stage. And out of nowhere, they heard chopsticks being played, and everyone looked at the stage and said, that can't be Paderewski. And the nine-year-old boy just started playing his heart out. And the people were irate. We want to hear Paderewski, not this nine-year-old. Where's his mother? Someone get this kid. People were screaming out. They wanted the kid off the stage. He had crashed Paderewski's performance. Paderewski was behind stage and he put two and two together what was going on. So he threw on his performing coat 
And he went behind the kid and he started playing chopsticks on both sides of him that went in with what the kid was playing. And the crowd was hushed. And Paderewski whispered into the little boy's ear, Don't give up, keep playing. Don't give up, keep playing. Don't quit, keep playing. And they finished the song together. So I'm wondering if the Holy Spirit is whispering in some people's ear today. Maybe you're like me, you're on the verge of burnout. Maybe you're suffering with sickness, someone your family's sick. Maybe you're having a financial crisis, maybe a big decision in your business. You're at a crossroads. I wonder if the voice of Jesus would tell you, don't quit. I know you want to give up, but realize in your own strength you don't have what it takes. But if I am the star and the director of your story, you have what it takes. Amen. So let's look at verses 14 through 17. I just want to break down. I won't spend a lot of time here. But look at Jesus' leadership style. And this will be good for any, any, any father, mother, grandparent. If you own a business, a company. He listened to the disciples' problem. Notice they said, Jesus, we don't have any food. We don't know what to do. There's only five loaves and two fish. He listened. But then Jesus entrusted the disciples with solving the problem. He said, you give them something to eat. You know, if I were Jesus, I would... I'm just being honest here. I'd say, guys, watch this. I'd be breaking the bread and I would do it myself, right? But Jesus knew that if I don't entrust them, this is called the art of delegation, by the way. If you can allow other people to do it with you, I mean, that's that's how leadership is developed. The greatest tragedy in churches is we don't empower and delegate. Everything has to run through a certain certain strategy or way. And what Jesus did with the 12, he empowered them, equipped them, trained them. And he sent them out and said, you do it. You feed them. When Jesus easily could have, here you go, guys, fish and bread, right from my hands, multiplication. Um, But he empowered them. He required faith from them and from the people. And not only did Jesus meet the need, but he surpassed the expectations. We're going to find out later there were baskets of leftovers. But I want to bring something about the bread, and I want you guys to zoom in on the text. Jesus looked up to heaven, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he what? He gave it to the people. I think there's a parallel with you and me in the bread, okay? We know that Jesus is the bread of life, and whenever we become a follower of Jesus, we are blessed. We studied the book of Ephesians here in this church. You are blessed in the heavenly realms. But did you ever notice that after you're blessed... In the Christian journey, you often experience what we call being sweetly broken. You experience brokenness where you go through a trial, you go through a refining process, and then all of a sudden your impact on the lives of others is magnified. So I like to say it like this. When you come to Jesus, you're blessed, but before you can be greatly used by God to be a blessing to the people, you often have to be broken. So you're blessed by God, then you're broken, and then you're a blessing to people. So if you're going through a time of brokenness right now and you're following God, it's not because of a sin issue. It's just you're going through life and you're experiencing brokenness. Know that one day God can turn your pain into your platform. Know that one day your misery can become your ministry if you'll just allow Jesus to work through you. Amen. Ephesians 3.20 says it like this. Now unto him who is able to do what? Exceedingly abundantly. Or if you use the NIV, immeasurably more all that you ask or think or imagine, according to the power that's at work within us. So this little boy's bagged lunch. 
All of a sudden, Jesus does a miracle through it. If you put what little you have in the hands of Jesus, little becomes much in the hands of God. Number four, look at the person next to you that's sleeping again and say, you have what it takes. You have what it takes to freely give fullness to a world running on empty. That's right. Freely give fullness to a world running on empty. Notice the people came to Jesus hungry. They needed healing. And they left full and whole. Wholeness. And here's the thing, folks. Whenever we pour out onto others, we have to allow Jesus to pour back back into us. And I, I can imagine the crowd coming to Jesus And the disciples are like, send them away. We're trying to get away from them. They're crashing our vacation. And I I can just hear the words of Jesus out of the Gospel of John. You may think that you're empty and weary, but have you forgotten? I am the streams of living waters. And if you will drink from this well, you will never run thirsty again. So if you're burnt out and weary, guess what? It means you need to drink from me again. You need to go back to me. There are times that we experience depression. There are times we experience burnout. There are times we experience weariness. But those are reminders to go back to Jesus and he alone can fill. Amen. So practical application, if you're taking notes. How do we do this on a, a, a regular basis, Timothy? And it sounds great. Go to Jesus. He's the streams of living water. But what does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, your daily times with Jesus. Your daily times of Jesus. As I told you a few weeks ago, I made the commitment when I was 14 that I would read the Bible every day in some form or fashion. And that's, that's kept me afloat. That's kept me from pouring out, pouring out, and running out. Because, you know, whenever I feel like I have nothing left, Jesus fills me up again. And by the way, I don't feel burned out right now. I'm, rec- I'm recovering because I'm preaching the sermon to myself, even if I'm not to you. So daily times of God, weekly times with God's people. That's why a few weeks ago, if you missed the message, it talked about don't forsake assembling together. Why? Well, we need encouragement. We need to spur one another on. Get, get involved. You know, most of us would not miss a meal in a day. So why would we miss feasting on God's presence and his word and with his people? It's so important. So daily time with Jesus, weekly time with God's people. What about monthly checkups? I know most of you ladies are better than us men. We don't like checkups for anything, right, guys? You know, we don't want to see a doctor. We don't want to see any, you know. But here's the thing. This is just a practical tip. Every month, have a personal checkup. How are you doing? How are you and Jesus doing? If you're married, how are you and your spouse doing? Whenever Lori and I, we have dates, we'll we'll ask something. How are we doing? Are there any issues we need to solve? Is there anything that you need to share, I need to share? How are we doing? Monthly checkups. And then finally, yearly retreats. This may be your vacation. This may be getting away. But if you go away for some days, ideally a week, but it allows you to recharge, refocus. The disciples are trying to do this. And I would imagine Jesus gave them time later to do this. All right, number five, finally. You have what it takes to sacrificially serve others and still have overflow for later. I love this. I think there's a lesson in the leftovers. How many baskets do they take up? Twelve. So we know that Peter was married and some of the other apostles. I can imagine Peter coming home to his wife and mother-in-law. You won't believe what happened. Check this out. 
Now, what's interesting about the miracle, and I, I haven't thought about this, and uh, I was listening to a pastor talk about this particular point, but he said, you ever notice that there was more left over than what they started with? I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. They started with a little boy's lunch, and the leftovers were 12 baskets full. And that's, that's, that's kind of the story of the Christian life. If you surrender your life to Jesus, there's going to be more than what you started with in every direction. When you leave this world, you wake up into eternity, and you're just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe. I think if we could get one glimpse behind the veil, we would be blown away what's on the other side. Uh, just being with Jesus is more than enough. But can you imagine the mansion he's building you? Can you imagine the friends that are waiting for you on the other side? So if you surrender what little you have, you always end up with more than you started with in eternity. So I read, read, came across this story, and we have a lot of school teachers, so you, this is on behalf of the school teachers, but this was at a Catholic school. Out of curiosity, any of you grew up in a Catholic school? We had some in the first service, Catholic school. So this was at St. Mary's School, and it was Sister Helen. She was a third grade teacher. And Sister Helen loved her students. She had 20-some students this, this, this particular year. But there was one boy by the name of Mark. And you school teachers understand this. Mark talked nonstop. Every time she would turn around, Mark would be talking. And Sister Helen said, Mark, if you talk one more time, I'm going to open up this desk drawer and I'm going to get some duct tape and I'm going to tape your mouth shut. It was a threat. She didn't think he would talk again. She turns around right on the board. Mark's talking again. So all of a sudden, she's like, i gotta, I got to do what I said I would do. So she pulls out the duct tape, and you'd get fired these days for doing it now. But she, she duct taped his mouth shut with an X. True story, by the way. And um, whenever she, everyone laughed, she took the tape off. Something Mark would say that was really endearing, he would say, thank you for correcting me, sister. Every time he would get in trouble, he would say, thank you for correcting me, sister. Well, fast forward, um, Sister Helen was moved to ninth grade. And it seemed like a few years passed by, third grade to ninth grade, six years later, Mark was in her class again. This time he was this tall, handsome, stunning young man. And he still talked, but not quite as much. He had matured a little bit, but he still had that sparkle in his eye. So they had a great, great year. But one of the Fridays, and teachers know this, that Fridays are notorious for students wigging out. How many of you have ever had students wig out on Friday? I don't know if it's the weekend, they had Mountain Dew to school, I don't know. But all the kids are wigging out. So Sister Helen said, you know what, we're going to do an experiment. I'm going to write everyone's name on these two sheets of paper. And for the rest of the class period, I want you to write what you like about each student. So they took a lot of time, the rest of the class. So over the weekend, she separated into separate pages. Each student got their own page. So on Monday, when the students came, they received a page full of, Mark, I love that you talk so much, but you're funny. I love the fact that you can make us laugh. And every kid had things they liked. So fast forward several years, and uh, Sister Helen was on a vacation. And as she came back, she got this phone call, and it was from Mark's parents. And the phone call was so heartbreaking. The parents said that Mark had died in Vietnam. He had been shot, and they were going to have his funeral the next day. And the parents had requested for Sister Helen to be there at the funeral. So the next day comes, and there's Mark, this young man in all his military outfit. And they're, they're saying their last blessings over him at this Catholic funeral. And what was so moving is the students in that class, they each came to Sister Helen. And they said, do you remember that assignment in the third grade? I mean, this is like many, many years had passed. 
They said, we still keep this in our pockets. And Vincent's wife, one of the students, said, yeah, Vincent carries it every day. And they all went by and said, that meant so much to it. We carry it around us every day in our diaries and in and, and our wallets. And Mark, Mark's parents came up to Sister Helen and opened up his wallet. And sure enough, there was his note. Mark, you're loved. Mark, you're funny. Mark, you have a great future. And he had kept that every single day in his wallet till the day he had got shot in Vietnam. As we look at this story, I'm just wondering if someone is going to walk away from this room. And on your note, the word of God says you are loved with everlasting love. If Jesus could speak to you through his word, he would say something like, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The Apostle Paul's voice would be saying, I know you feel like giving up, you feel weary, but don't grow weary while doing good. Because you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And these five points we covered, I want to review, and I want this to be on your note that you'll carry with you. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. You don't have what it takes, just like me and my pancakes. You're going to mess up. But with Jesus... If he is the star and the director of your story, these five truths I want you to forever take. I want them to be tattooed on your heart. Number one, you have what it takes to greatly minister to the people in your path. You may have some people that are needy. As Rick Warren says, they're EGRs, extra grace required. You may have some people like that. That's okay. With Jesus, you can minister to them. Number two, you have what it takes to adequately provide for overwhelming circumstances. You may feel right now, I can't do this. My health issues, my family, whatever, the list goes on. And I know a lot of your stories right now, you're in overwhelming circumstances. On your own, you don't have what it takes. But with Jesus, you have what it takes. Number three, you have what it takes to effectively execute a divine solution for every human problem. See, here's my prayer. You may be in a problem. For every problem, there is a solution. Jesus is the one who shows you the solution. You notice the disciples said, here's a solution, send them away. This. And Jesus said, no, here's my solution. So your solution may not work, but Jesus' solution does work. Number four, you have what it takes to freely give fullness to a world running on empty. Every person you see is someone for whom Christ died. That deserves an amen for that, by the way. Amen to that. But... You may feel like, I don't, I'm barely covering my basis. How can I give and have leftover? Remember the story. The disciples gave and gave and gave, and they have more leftover than what they started with. And finally, number five, you have what it takes to sacrificially serve others and still have overflow for later. You know, funny thing about being a pastor is sometimes I'm like, I can't give that story because, I don't think this, but this is the temptation. I can't give that story because what I'm going to say next week, I'm going to run out of material. Well, let me tell you, folks, 21 years later, God still keeps giving me. It's usually crazy stuff that happens, but he still gives me stuff. So I can give my very best I got, and guess what? He's going to better my best. Give your best, and he's going to keep bettering your best. William Carey, who is the founder of Modern Missions, said it like this. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. So, folks, if you, if you could just take this one truth home with you, and we'll close with this. As long as Jesus is the star and the director of your story, you have what it takes. Let's pray. Jesus, 
We are sorry for where we do it on our own feeble strengths. And when we do, we do experience burnout. We do experience being overwhelmed. And God, you call and remind us to come back. Come back to the living waters that never run dry. So Lord, forgive us for trying to do it on our own strength. Or partially on our strength. And help us come back to the streams of living water. Right now, as we continue to pray, with no one looking around, how many would say with me, Timothy, you know, I've, I've experienced season of burnout, depression, sickness, sorrow, sadness, the list goes on. And I realize I don't have what it takes. But today I'm leaving with the truth that Jesus can do something in and through me. So even when I'm at the end of my rope, I'm at the beginning of his grace. Jesus, you see the hands. We confess freely. We do not have what it takes. But if we're willing to make you the star and the director, you will lead us and you will guide us. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here that you've never made Jesus Lord and Savior. And you, you definitely know that you don't have what it takes. But if you want to live life differently, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, turning from your old life and turning to Him, to say a prayer like this, Jesus, I don't have what it takes. I am a sinner. I've messed up. I've fallen short in so many ways. Jesus, forgive me. From this day forward, I want to walk with you. I invite you in, Jesus, as my Lord, my Savior, because I know and I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. You were buried and you rose again so that I could rise and live a life full of purpose. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. This time we're going to stand for a closing hymn. You'll notice in your listening guide, there's three action steps. How can I apply this to my life? One possibility is this. Make Jesus the star and the director of your story. If he's not Lord, make him Lord today. He may be your Savior, but is he Lord? The second step, have you offered to Jesus what little you have? The little boy offered his lunch. Are you willing to give your life? Little is much in the hands of God. And finally... Next week, we launch the 40 Days of Community. If you're not in a Sunday school or a life group, we're challenging you starting next week for 40 days to get in a small group. Join a Sunday school class, join a life group. There's 13 adult groups to choose from. A little is much in the hands of God. Respond as the Lord leads.